0: a podcast for two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are continuing our massive summer binge talking about A Court of Wings and Ruin, the third book in the Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Maas. We are very excited to keep going with our binge here this week for the final book in the main trilogy of Akatar before the spinoff books start. But before we talk about this book, Heysha, what are you obsessing over this week? Well, I got an arc for T.J. Klune's newest
1: book called Under the Whispering Door, and it was really beautiful. Um, I'm still marinating in the ending, like trying to trying to parse like exactly how I feel about it. But overall, I think the the book was really beautiful, and it's kind of a a really nice rumination on on grief and and how people can impact and affect and change each other's lives, and and it's just you know in that classic T.J. Klune style of just like squeezing those heartstrings while also feeling like a warm hug and a blanket and a cup of tea.
0: Yeah, it's just it, you know just really lovely. I still have only ever read House in the Cerulean Sea by him and the plot of Under Under the Whispering Door, like, it looks good. The cover looks very similar to the Cerulean Sea cover. I'm like, oh, well, I like this. I don't know, but I'm very thrilled that you liked it as much as you did. I also just got Uh, an arc of it so i'm excited to dive into it and then we can discuss whatever this ending is but yes and there's also a bunch of like
1: um house of the cerulean sea easter eggs in it just like oh i love nice little peppered throughout it's it's really nice that's
0: yeah that's great news i'm excited about it because i i feel like all my must read books of the year were earlier this year Including you know, *Carter Silver* planes, which we'll get to in this, but a lot of just like fantasy sequels and standalones that I was really looking forward to. And there was not much in the back half of the year, but this is one of them, so I'm excited to hear that it's really good.
1: Yeah. Um, and then this one's for both of us. We mm-hmm. have both become completely upset obsessed with. Uh, upset is right
0: too. Upset yeah, that's is right too. <laughs>
1: um, with Netflix's *Young Royals*, so why don't you why don't you tell everybody about it?
0: Yeah, so Young Royals is just a six episode season, a new show on Netflix. It is Swedish. It's all in Swedish. It is about the young prince of Sweden who, after a small scandal erupts, is forced to go to an elite boarding school in Sweden against his will and gets there and immediately sort of is very much intrigued by one of the students at the school someone who is not in the same realm or even socioeconomic status obviously it's like a prince of Sweden mm-hmm. uh, he's one of like the local day students at the school who's like there on on scholarship and it's just this is like a very feeling show like I don't even know what more to say but I don't want to say too much about the plot but plots not like really relevant I mean there's drama um and and hijinks and things that come about but ultimately it's just like it's just a lot of feelings coming from the show. I've seen a lot of people compare it to Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is not an unfair comparison, I don't think. I mean, it's literally like about a prince who falls for a boy who happens to be—I think the actor who plays as Simone, who's the actor in real life, is Swedish Venezuelan. So it's that's obviously a thing, Red, White, and Royal Blue too, with mm-hmm. Alex being Mexican in that book too. So I get the comparison; it's definitely there, but it becomes its own thing. Very quickly someone compared it to normal people which I think is actually a good comparison for like the feelings aspect of it but I, one of the things I also like that was just really super refreshing is that like all the teenagers have acne it's like a very realistic portrayal the most popular girl in the school is black and chubby and has significant acne and like st- and is like she's nice and like mm-hmm. is popular for a good reason and so it's just kind of like refreshing twists on tropes that we are all very familiar with when it comes to teenage dramas, but with looks like a lot more feeling and heart behind it.
1: Yeah. I got so much more out of it than I would have expected to watching a show called Young Royals. It's just about like, you know, a bunch of teenage rich kids basically, but um, yeah, it's, it does one of those things so well. Um, it's like my favorite thing is when people are, are looking at their, their romantic interest or whatever. And like, it's all in the eyes and it's all in the in the very subtle, like physical contact, like the touching in this show is out of control. <laughs> Slight brushes of hands and, and you're sitting on your couch just like screaming ah, like it's, yeah. it does so much with with so little. It's just so much so much better than you think it is. Just watch it.
0: Just watch it. Have I read the entirety of the Royal Tumblr tag? Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> and then sent half of it to me. I was like, well, look at this gift set. Look at this gift set. Like, it's just, it's it's great. I was literally, between like finishing this book, I'm also, as we talked about last week, Jessie is reading Throne of Glass and I've been like, as I rereading it along with her. And then in Young Royals then too, I've just been like deep in my feelings this week. I'm finally feeling a little better, but like there was a time during the middle of this week where I was just not doing well. This was also the week that we happened to to get to the prom episode of Buffy in our in our watch through. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. We watched a very feelings episode of Buffy. Like we just have, it's been a rough week. And I like I said, I'm finally feeling better now as we record this. And I was like deep in uh, a feeling of melancholy this whole, <laughs> whole week. So basically, if, that, if you want to feel feelings, watch Young Royals. Um, it has not been picked up for a second season yet. I can't imagine that it won't be because it seems to be kind of taking over everywhere and it definitely needs a second season. So yeah. it's not like a cliffhanger of an ending, but it's like you want more. So I don't know about you. I feel better now that like we've gotten through Wings and Ruin. I feel like I can kind of like take a step back from the world of Prithian for a little bit here because I really feel like it had me in its clutches and I was like in a fever dream for the last few weeks. Yeah. Like just again, reading these books, like I never read them before, unable to put them down. Like it was just really, really hard. So maybe next, the next time we record, we'll have even more obsessions to talk about. We were not like waylaid by feelings about like 15 year old Swedish
1: (laughs) so yeah this was like an emotionally battering week for us yeah but, yeah you know, we're, we're through we're on the other side and this is like a natural break in this series that we're that we're reading right now so, yes exactly
0: no more no more feelings uh yeah. that's why we always have. i was gonna say <laughs> that's good. come monday and we're gonna be talking <laughs> i know about some, jesus some i know all right, so as we always do, we're going to start with a summary of the book, which I prepared from the same website I got the summary from last week, and I edited it down only to find out that that website is apparently like, a very Christian, like family-oriented website, which like, is fine. like doesn't seem like problematic in any way, but I guess I'll just say retweet does not imply endorsement. Yeah, This is stolen from Unplugged.com. I don't know what they are. They said a very nice summary, which I tightened up even more. So again, retweet this online. For a <laughs> <laughs> so Teja, whenever
1: you are ready. All right. Pharaoh was married in secret to Resand and is now high lady of the night court. She returns as a spy to the spring court with Tamlin, pretending that she had been brainwashed into staying with Rhysand in the night court for all those months, but secretly plans her revenge. Tamlin agreed that in exchange for Hybern's help in getting Farrah back from Resand, he would open the Spring Court's lands to Hybern's invading forces. Pharaoh sows discord throughout Tamlin's court and undermines the High Priestess, Ianthi. Farrah argues with Tamlin, purposely inciting his temper, and when he causes the room to explode, Pharaoh doesn't shield her body. Tamlin's court begins to hate Tamlin for his abuse. She also incites Tamlin's jealousy by confiding in Lucian. Farrah learns that Hybern plans to use the cauldron to bring down the wall between Prithian and the human lands. Armed with this information, she leaves the Spring Court with Lucian. When she returns to the Night Court, her sisters, who were forced into the cauldron and transformed into High Fae, are angry, depressed, and cold to Feyre. Elaine speaks strangely of things that haven't happened yet, and Nesta possesses an otherworldly presence that none can understand. While Nesta and Amran work to find a way to fix holes in the wall, Rhysand and Feyre try to find allies for the impending war, bargaining with dangerous immortal creatures in exchange for their aid. While Lucian goes to the mortal realm to track down a mortal queen and her forces, Rhysand calls a meeting of the High Lords. The High Lords, except for Baron and Tamlin, pledge to work together against Highburn, and they all leave for their respective courts. After several smaller battles with Hybern, the Serial tells Faerah that Amren and a spell in the Book of Magic are the key to winning the war. Before the ultimate battle, Elaine is kidnapped by Highburn. Farah and Azriel go to rescue her and are saved by Tamlin, who has secretly... Been working against Hybern from the inside. The final battle ensues. Spring and Autumn surprisingly join the fray as do human troops. Farah's father and Lucian found the Firebird Queen and her army joins the fight. The armies of Miriam and Dracon Fey, who fought in the last war and have been hiding ever since, come to Prithian's aid as well. Even with the additional help, the fight does not go well for the human fey army. The cauldron destroys the bone carver and many of the Night Court's army. Nessa amasses her power as a distraction for the king, while Amren and Feyre go to the cauldron to nullify its power, which Amren said they could do. Feyre touches the cauldron, and its magic traps her. Amron lied to Feyre; the spell isn't to nullify the power in the object. Amren uses it to unbind herself from the body she is trapped in. Nessa and Cassian face off against Hybern. The king has captured Nessa's father and kills him. As the king is about to kill Nessa and Cassian, Elaine comes from behind and stabs him in the neck. Nessa ends the king's life by beheading him. Despite the king's death, the battle rages on. Amorin transforms into her true self, a winged, haloed creature of blinding light. She unleashes fire and brimstone on her enemies before burning out. The cauldron is broken and, and starts to pull everything into its nothingness. Pharaoh tries to fix it before it destroys their world. She uses a spell, but her power is not strong enough. Rhysand gives her his power and in doing so, knowingly gives his life. The cauldron is fixed, but Pharaoh is distraught and demands that the other high lords must resurrect him like they did for her. They all do, including Tamlin. And Rhysand is brought back to life. When Rhysand died, he saw Amran in the cauldron and asked if she wants to come back. She did and is given a resurrected High Fae body. After the battle, Fae recalls a meeting to discuss a new treaty between humans and Fae before she, her friends, and family return to Valaris and to the
0: night. Ooh. So this is probably the most like plot-driven of the three books that we've mm-hmm. read so far in this series. And in that respect, I think is... I don't want to say, like, the best book. I mean, Court of Mist and Fury is my favorite book of this world. But in terms of just, like, epic fantasy saga, this is the best book, I think, mm-hmm. of the bunch. Every Every battle is so compelling. All the efforts to get all the allies are so compelling to me. It moves so, so fast. It doesn't have the same emotional impact that A Court of Mist and Fury does, although there are emotional moments, but I do really like reading this book just for like the adventure of it all. And the adventure is just heightened by the fact that now you do care so much about these characters. So the emotional labor of the first two books really plays out really well here.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that the first two work well as like a setup and, and a you know the romantic intrigue and all of that. But this one... Like really everything just comes to a head in a really nice way. I rarely read stuff where the battles are, like you said, just as compelling as as the emotional stuff and the political stuff. Like I, I was like crying through the entire final yeah. battle scene. Like it's done so well. The the tension is is perfectly ratcheted up. Like you just feel it that whole time. It's so propulsive. Um, the political intrigue is really great too. Um, yeah, it's just it's kind of a knockout of a of a third book in a trilogy.
0: It really is. And I know at the end, some people critique the end because it's just kind of deus sex machina after deus mm-hmm. sex machina mm-hmm. after deus sex yeah, machina. Yeah, the Amaranth
1: stuff I do, I do take issue with.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about all that more specifically. But, like, it doesn't bother me that, like, last minute you have spring and autumn joining the fray, like – that's and and mm-hmm. and the mortal forces led by Elaine's former fiance, like that, you feel that because you saw the seeds leading up to the, the reasons why they didn't want to participate. Their dad failing in on the Nesta ship at the end, like, always makes me cry. So, like it that is is
1: so yeah. good. I mean, like when it's some, when something is so emotionally rewarding, the the deus ex machina of it all doesn't really bother me. Like yeah, it doesn't same. bother me about about the human army showing up or, or spring and autumn showing up. Some of the Amran stuff kind of bothers me just because like, what has she been doing this entire book? Like, yeah. it's, it's very like very deus ex machina. But the other stuff, it's so emotionally rewarding that I'm like, OK, like this is This is fine.
0: Yeah. But I think it, the reason it works then for me too, just like in a plot perspective, is you get like these smaller, quieter moments. Like there's this massive battle ongoing, and then the whole scene where Nesta goes to save Cassian, and they and he kills their father, and then they're about to die. And Elaine of all people comes through, and is, yeah. it kills King of Hybron. So you get like smaller beats within the whole thing that helps, and then like the whole last passage with Feyre and Amron, and then also ultimately Feyre and Reese is is really really compelling and Mm -hmm. I guess maybe like one of the first places we'll start then is we've talked about in all the books is like our feelings on Feyre and I you know was kind of harsh on her in the first book and I say that I don't love her because she's not the most like proactive a lot of times and I think in rereading this book I was thinking about like okay why has that always been my perception of Feyre I think it's because in this last book I Feyre first of all is The best Feyre, like it's so 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 good. I love all the Springfort intrigue. I also like that it has negative ramifications that they have to deal with then too, like showing the the side of the flip side of that like lust for revenge and not thinking strategically. But that's my favorite Feyre. So then, the back half of the book for Feyre is not as exciting. I mean, I love when she goes to save Elaine at Highburn, but then at like the the end the final battle she sits it out for reasons that are very valid but you know she really doesn't have a huge role at the end it's it's ultimately resand transferring his power through her that like saves the day and and i like pharaoh a lot i just ultimately always want something a little more from Mm -hmm. my fantasy heroine like she's our pov character throughout but she is not She's not the game changer. Yeah. She's like purposefully sidelined
1: in the final battle because she's, you know, for plotty reasons, she's like literally stuck to the cauldron. Like, so all she can do is sort of witness everything right. that's going on. And it's more like the big emotional moments really belong to other people. Yeah. And Nessa and Cassie and stuff is just like out of control. But yeah, um, Spy Pharah is the best Pharah. And I do like that they get into the ramifications and it feels natural to me that she would be feeling like some guilt for like destabilizing the Spring Court in that way. But like, I really think that would have happened anyway, just because of Tamlin. Yeah, yeah I think she point. accelerated that process. But really, what she's doing while she's sowing this discord is she pl- is she's playing on on weaknesses that are already there, that already exist, yeah. and and like the door that Tamlin had already opened to hyburn. Um, yeah. So yeah, I do. I think it's really interesting. It really shows like the revenge plot plus the war and, and all of that. Like even if you're doing things for the right reasons, they will have like kind of unforeseen consequences. And I think that's important to show.
0: Yeah. I like how that all shakes out. I remember the first time I read this book, I thought that the Spy hair stuff like goes too rushed. Like, I wanted, and I think it's because I just wanted more of it because I really, really mm. like it. Even though you want her to be back with your and with the inner circle and be back. She was and, so and good wear, as a spy, though. <laughs> she was so good. And I love like all the Lucian stuff too because he like knows what's going on, but he can't say anything because of Elaine. And I think that it, it, it's all just like very, very compelling. But what to not like make it seem as though I, I don't like the fair stuff in this book because that's not true at all. I think her emotional. Journey through this book continues from the last book too, and it continues to build upon the growth that she had from that book. And the moment where she, you know, ultimately confronts the the mirror that shows you your true self, like, is so great, and it's such a good end cap for her journey through these books. This is what she says to Resand when she has the carver there. He doesn't know, like, the carver shows up at the end of or at the beginning of the last battle. And Rusan didn't know that she went and confronted the Aboros, which she hadn't done because the whole thing is that everyone who's ever tried to like look at themselves and it has been driven mad by it. And this is what she says. And what I saw, I said quietly to him as the carver raised a hand. I think, I think I loved it, forgave it, me, all of it. It was only in that moment. And I knew I'd understood what the serial sh- had meant. Only I could allow the bad to break me. Only I could own it, embrace it. And when i would when I'd learned that the Ouroboros had yielded to me. Reese arched a brow, even as Awcraft crossed his face. You loved all of it, the good and the bad. I smiled a bit, especially the bad. And that's like, that's so great. I love that Mm. so much because, you know, we've talked a lot too about like the bad of Feyre. Isn't like something that is outwardly bad? No, I don't think a lot of outsiders will look at Feyre and be like, you're a traitor, you're this, you're that. Like a lot of it was herself and her own... Self doubt, which is in many ways, as everyone knows. I think way more powerful of a of a insidious force in your own life than outside perspectives of you. So to see her wrestle with like her internal view of herself and come to love it at the end, it's just it's great. I mean, and and
1: you you think about like the end of the Dream Thieves and the Raven Cycle, like all all character arcs that end in that kind of perfect moment of self-acceptance and self-love it's everything you want in the culmination of a character arc
0: yeah yeah no it's 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 great i love that aspect of things too i love some of her quiet quieter moments too like you know this is her first war all these people are hundreds of years old around her and Mm -hmm. have dealt with this all before and she thinks at one point about like the cost of war and how it's going to change her and how she has to do it anyway you have to do it to like save her family to save all these people she cares about to save just the whole entire realm but i i like that sarah builds in these quiet moments of reflection of that like this will forever change me and she like says to resand at one point too like there's a there's one battle that we didn't mention in the summary at the summer court where they go and they provide aid and it's way more like kind of guerrilla style on the street. Like she and more just going through the castle and like taking down people as they encounter it. But then when she gets to the first like proper battle, she's just like, I'm not ready for this, which is a, va- a totally valid thing. And Rhysanne's like, yeah, no, like it makes sense that like, this is some, it's very different and it's very hard and no one's going to judge you for like, not actively participating in that. And in some ways, again, I'm like, negative on that just in terms of it's not like what i like in terms of a fantasy heroine but i appreciate that like there's other ways to have a big impact other than being like the most powerful on the battlefield and she does that through like her cunning sci fair stuff but then also getting all these creatures to come in at the end and she does good she does good work yeah i mean
1: if if favorite hadn't brought in the bone carver and briaxis um that battle would have ended probably before they had a chance to, yeah. to do what they needed to do. Like they, they were, they changed the tide in the sense that they held off the, you know, the majority of Hybern's forces for as long as they could.
0: And she has a really badass tattoo from her bargain with the bone carver, the like yeah. phases of the moon down her spine, mm-hmm. which RIP. Yeah. I know. Well, when I look at uh, art of Feyre and resand a lot of times, like they'll show that tattoo, but then I'm like, is that gone? I yeah, can't remember. I think, yeah. Like, I remember the at the so end, fulfilled. she said she felt it like disappear off. Of yeah, her which back. sucks. I'm like, get that permanently here. Yeah. <laughs> a <really> cool tattoo.
1: <laughs> also, just like, shout out to the bone carver for being, I think, a great character throughout yeah, I, um I throughout this series. And his death was oddly emotional in a way that I didn't mm-hmm. really expect. Cause like I had always just kind of liked him for being like a, a bit of a shit. But I liked actually, and a lot of people kind of make fun of this, that like, he's all, oh, I, I don't actually care about the mirror. I just wanted to see if you're worth fighting for. But I like that. Yeah, I, like I like that that, that he wanted to make sure that she, she was worthy in that sense that like she could look at herself and not walk away and not go mad. You know, I thought all of that was really well motivated. I thought his death was really sad, yeah, um, even, yeah. even as much as he wanted it in the end, because really he did. That's the whole reason he wanted to be released in the first place was just to like you know have an end to
0: it yeah and i, I everyone's de- i mean even the weaver's death is like very kind of emotional like yeah she's just like bloodthirsty like well there's something to be said about th- these
1: ancient creatures just and their lives being snuffed out like that like yeah they're, they're these timeless beings but and you know and yet they're killed.
0: That's a great way to put it too. And then when you do look at someone like Amarin, who's also kind of this timeless creature mm-hmm. and how everyone, if they are given a chance, maybe like on a certain path can become like an Amarin. Like, so I think that's, what's really rewarding about looking at a character like her and her choice to stay at the end is that like, she's kind of in the same position as them, but she's had hundreds of years to, you know, serve free Sand to be in the inner circle. And she values that so much. And she finally values, the prospect of having a a relationship with with uh, Varian, and so it's all I, I like that aspect in the comparison of it because I, you you can look at each of the, the Bone Carver's moments and the, the Weaver's moments, and be like, oh, this could be Amarin. Yeah, I kept thinking uh,
1: for a long time after I finished the book about how. Like, if, if things had gone differently in the Bone Carver, I had ended up a high fae like Amrin. Like, what a fascinating character that would have been. Yeah,
0: that would have been really interesting, too. Also, like, the weird, weirdly some of, like, my most emotional moments in this book. I mean, Reese's whole speech at the end is just, like, too just much for me. sob the whole way through. <laughs> so much. But, like, uh, he says at the end, like, I, I'm grateful that I had this time with you. I'll read the whole thing during my quotes. Don't you worry. But <laughs> but then Amron says like, no, like we're grateful, we'll understand. And so it's just, again, mm-hmm. I think Jesse said something about this last week. It's like Amron sometimes has these big emotional beats and to see that from this immortal being that everyone is scared of all the time, it's really mm-hmm. nice. I like it a lot. So like, yeah, the favorite stuff is good. I don't, I don't feel like I was looking through my notes and like looking through everything I highlighted as I was going through. And it's like, I don't have as many Resand notes from this book, mainly because I think like his whole his whole story is, or his, his emotional journey is kind of dealt with mostly in a court of mist and fury. Mm -hmm. He still shows some like very lovely moments of vulnerability here, which I really like. Like he says at one point after the attack on the library and all the priestesses who are in danger, priestesses who he's, given a safe haven in a specific spot that's their own. He says, what's the point of all this power if I can't protect those who are most vulnerable in my own city? And we like made fun of Resan last week. most powerful? High Lord for being unable to protect (laughs) Mm time. But it's really those emotional moments he has are really nice. I just don't think there's like as many of them or as much of them. I mean, he and Farah are very much like established as a couple at this point. And so you care about every scene that they're in, but it's not as much about their journey at that point anymore versus like plot.
1: Yeah, I think his his role in this book is mostly a supporting one to Pharah. Um, He's there to tell her to believe in herself, basically, and to give her support and, um, you know, deliver some devastating speeches. And and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: he gives some just stunning speeches. That's very upsetting to me emotionally but yeah no i mean he's great he he needs to be great but i don't have a lot to say about him in this one yeah his story in many ways like is is kind of wrapped up um although like we can talk about his death because i that hurt me a lot the first time i read it It still hurts me to read it his i love you is like a goodbye like (laughs) yeah yeah the
1: him repeating i love you i love you as this is happening and she's just like Thinking he's like reassuring her or something, and really yeah. she's just like draining, you know, helping drain this power from him. It was sad. I mean, it, at the same time, I think a little bit of that emotional punch is is diminished a bit because of the fact that he's resurrected immediately and in the same way the pharaoh was. It was like, yeah, I don't know how many times we're going to pull this this trick, but it's fine. I mean, the the death itself was. Very impactful emotionally.
0: Yeah, well, when the bond goes silent. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 really it's really hard. I don't understand like plot reason why you know he comes back. He's like, don't worry, my power is all my own. And I'm like, I don't understand what the difference. I don't is get here. yet. <laughs> but okay, maybe because he had power already. Like he didn't like. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't. I don't get it. Either, or because but, he was
1: already Faye and he didn't need to be.
0: Yeah, like, remade in that. Yeah, that's same, yeah maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. This is the it's very hand Sarah doesn't care about. So yeah. let's not care about too much. It's like, I, she just killed her main character. And we're like, well, why does he only have his power? Yeah. I don't think she cares. Um, and it's fine. You know, it is very emotionally affecting. And um, it's very, it makes me very sad. And then, you know, it prompts them in the end to make this. Bargain between each other that they'll always um, be together, which is like, a, and they'll go to they'll leave together, leave this world together at the end mm-hmm. when the time comes, and um, that I love that scene too, where she like has her tattoo switched to the Night Court insignia. It's just it's a very nice end chapter here. Yeah. maybe while we're talking about that last scene, of the death scene, we can talk about Tamlin because. The Tamlin stuff in this book, I think, is is really interesting. And we get the moment at the end where he does contribute. He's the last Tyler to contribute to bringing Sand back. And I continue to, like, not like him at all and hate him in a lot of ways. There is a small... I I would say it's a small fraction of this fandom who wants more for Tamlin going forward, more redemption from Tamlin going forward. I think what we do get in this book is, quite frankly... Very generous of, of Sarah, yeah. but I think it, it, it all works for me really well. Mm-hmm. I think you know he's awful, awful when Farah is in the back in the Supreme Court. You know he's he's still doing the same stuff, even though he's essentially got her back. He's still tempted to like and easily led into these moments by Farah of exploding temper and. He's working with Hybern, which yeah, like he, it was apparently a long con, but like he still sucks. <laughs> it's
1: it's like- kind of a shitty long con too, because like in this con, he's invited Hibern's army into his lands and and fucked a lot of shit up. Like we talk about, you know, the the consequences of Pharaoh just des- destabilizing the Spring Court. Like <laughs> Tamlin in his own little plot kind of did worse.
0: Well, and Khan is born out of his sense of entitlement to Feyre. Like the mm-hmm. only reason he does it and is in that position is because he wants her back. So, you know, I, I really, I love the scene where she and Asriel go to Highburn to find the lane. And I love how he saves her mm-hmm. at the end. The most like staggering show of his power that she'd ever seen where he like sends a gust of wind beneath her. It's a great payoff to all the training that she does with Asriel to learn how to fly. Um, I don't, I, I, I love the whole um, Nafal philosophy that the weak, your weakness can also become your bigness strength. I like that moment from Farrah. It's like, I thought like me learning to fly would be the fulfillment of that here. But it's actually Tamlin. Like Tamlin, the weak link amongst the High Lords. He's the one who comes through. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, all these moments, and that's enough for me. I don't need any more Tamlin, quote unquote, redemption. I mean, like some characters can just be bad and they're broken and that's it. But that doesn't mean they that they can't have rewarding moments along the way. And I think we get enough of those here that I don't need anymore.
1: Yeah, I think that he can remain kind of on more, or less, I mean, more or less neutral ground. Like he's mm-hmm. not good, but he's right. not horribly evil either. Like he has done really, He, he he's come nowhere near making up for like the, the horrible shit he's done to Farah. but he has done stuff. And I don't need him to do more. I don't need him to like die in some big, you know, culmination of a redemption arc. I don't need him to become suddenly a good guy and get his mate. And all of a sudden he's like, nice. Um, I think his moment of be happy, Farah is good. I think that's his best moment, the most I've ever liked him. And I can leave it at that. Like I'm- I'm,
0: actually makes me cry.
1: Yeah. I'm happy to like nothing him forever after that.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I I don't need, yeah, we don't need, I don't need anymore. And I don't think, I think we talked about this last week, too, in terms of like Farah's perspective of it, like her POV of him never lets him off the hook. And therefore, we the readers don't have to let him off the hook. And I think that's mm-hmm. the same thing here. And, you know, we'll talk going forward about how this is kind of the end of Reese and Farah's story for at least for now. The next two books we're covering are spinoff books, or at least the next book is a novella setting up all these spinoff books. And so we're not really in Farah's POV at much anymore going forward and so she is the one who has to ultimately decide whether or not she'll is ever going to be able to like forgive Tamlin she's not there at the end of this she can appreciate what he does for her in this book and that's where I as the reader would like to stay too I would like to continue to stay on that same path with with Feyre especially because these books too they they're the way they're being set up is it's not like we're jumping far forward, like hundreds of years or anything where like things might've changed. Like we're still in the immediacy of this war in the next two books. So he you, you would have to like, it'd have to be like hundreds of years in the future for like any of that to even like come into play. And I'm just not interested in a time jump like that or anything. So I, just, mm-hmm. I hope we never get that. Yeah.
1: And I just don't care. I don't, I don't care enough to go through everything that it would take to get Tamlin to a place where I can fully forgive him. I just, I, I don't care enough about him or
0: his place in this story to go through all of that. And what Sarah has done in some of her books is taken characters that are not liked by the fandom and basically shown why the fandom was wrong about it. But it's, there's, when you look back, there's reason for instance, you know, with, with nesta you know we've talked on and we're going to talk more about how the hate that she gets is not really deserved based on what's in the text here so she's like always been a good person so like her her story which is coming in the last book we're going to cover here is not about redemption it's about like showing you why this person ticked and why they were that way and the same i think can be said of a character like eris who we get some interesting moments with in this book who Fayra thinks too and the other characters think too about how there seems to be a little something more going on with him that's not, like never really the case with tamlin like yes he obviously has this tragic backstory but no one is ever looking at him or thinking about him as he's actually good like surprise like i've told you he was bad like actually there's gonna be something more which is where i think ultimately move the heiress storyline is going tamlin mm. just like is ultimately bad but he has like some good moments so i don't think she's gonna like try to like pull that yeah trick someday I think that's a
1: good way to put it that he's like actually bad, but just has good moments, which is like I, I appreciate because that's showing more nuance in villainous characters. And a lot of people do. Yeah, um, I agree. Not everybody is a thousand percent, you know, bad. Not everybody is 100 percent good. It's you know, we all contain a little bit of this and that. And like, I mean, and Tamlin is so petty, like some of his pettiness is like genuinely funny like in their high lords meeting, he's just being such a prick, and it's it's funny, but I think like not intentionally, you know.
0: No, it, uh, it's you deeply think? funny to me for sure.
1: It is like when you fuck her. Have you noticed the little noise she makes right before she climaxes? Like that is <laughs> that is some like queen petty shit, and yeah. I I laughed so much. But also like Feyre and Rhysand, like you have a good comeback right there, and you did not pull it out. Why? I mean, again, okay, you're more mature, fine, but still. It would have been so funny.
0: I love the High Lord scene. You know, it's, it reminds me a lot of like part of the discourse around Game of Thrones. There are people who love like the big action sequences, and then people mm-hmm. like the scenes that are more just people talking in rooms because it's like the nitty gritty chewiness of the characters. And I, <laughs> that's why I love the High Lord meeting so much because it's just a couple of chapters of just, oh my God, like the years, the centuries of animosity between these courts and like people just all playing the game. And then you have Talon mm-hmm. come in and like pull this shit. And oh my God, it's so <laughs> funny. And it really just highlights how like Farrah
1: is surrounded by these like 500 plus year old beings. And she is the most mature
0: person in any room. Mm-hmm. That's the really good point, she is. It's just <laughs> totally like, oh my God, like you, you feel like yeah, children. I- who knew that, like, Tamil would be, like, the source of, like, amusement? And, again, I don't think it's intended by Sarah. Yeah, no, I am mm-hmm. endlessly amused by that scene. It's so fascinating to me. One of the things that comes up in that scene, I think this might be a good pivot, then, to talking to Lucian, is we are introduced to Helion. The high, is that what we're going to say? Helion? I
1: say Helion, but Helion. I don't
0: know. Oh, that makes more sense. Let's go with Helion. Helion, the High Court of, or the High Lord of Day, right? Yeah. Day. Dawn? Yeah. Dawn Day. Day.
1: i think it's day i think oh wait you know what maybe it's dawn. let me just this is fine we're professionals high
0: lord of day 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 court yeah i mean it's very confusing to me i know that i knew that that he was one of the like celestial courts or whatever they call them like day dawn and night are more allies than the seasonal courts so where's the twilight court that was. I was just wondering that. It seems that like it should be an eighth court. Yeah. Yeah. If we're gonna have dawn, yeah, we're at twilight. That would have been a cool court. It'd been a very great opportunity for some like deep, deep inside jokes. It's in Ports Washington, Tasha. <laughs> <It's like this. laughs>
1: Everybody sparkles in Twilight Court. <laughs> That's their power. <laughs> <laughs> They'll blind you on the battlefield with their sparkles. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> Wow. Okay, I did not know that's where we we're going today, but here we are. <laughs> so one of the big things that comes out of the High Lords meeting is they meet. As they meet Helion and Sarah. Immediately, is like, oh shit, he's very clearly Lucian's father because they mm-hmm. learned too about like his affair with the Lucian's mother, with Baron's wife, the, yeah, the lady of the uh, the Autumn Court. And, like, what a setup that is. Um, I guess, like, minor spoilers going forward. So, you know, the next book is a setup novella. And then the last book we're covering is Nesta and Cassian's book. And I don't think that's a spoiler. That's the mm-hmm. a, a plot of those books. So we don't know. There's not, like, a lot of resolution yet for Lucian in any of the books going forward. And we still have resolution on this aspect of his story either. So it's really interesting to, like, go back and read it. Kind of think of where that's going to go. Because like one of the things I read once, I've never been able to find like a definite source on this or even find like whatever post I saw years ago is that like a Lucian book is in her is in her plans. And it seems that way, right? When We're giving him this very meaty sub story here to build. I
1: mean, it would be wild to not do a Lucian book when you've set so much up.
0: Yes. So that's like one of the big takeaways. I like that scene though afterwards, after the meeting where they like come back to their rooms and Hylian comes in and he, and Faire's just grilling him about the affair. And he's just like, Yes. Yeah, so let me tell you everything about this affair. And it's like very clearly established that Helian like Resand has put on a mask for years and his, mm-hmm. his private person is much different than his public persona. And it's clear that they're friends, but like you're just, you're still, sp- it's a lot of trust in Resand, I guess is my point because he's just spilling yeah. everything to Feyre right then and there. And so we get that information, but like, it doesn't seem like he knows that Lucian is his son, um, presumably his mom knows and that in fair things about like, Oh, that's probably why Lucian's his, her favorite son. And mm-hmm. like, like them a lot because it's the only one born of like her true love match. So that's very interesting to think about going forward. Um, But I, I honestly, the longest section of my notes is on Lucian. <laughs> like I just literally wrote just so many Lucian thoughts. As we said previously, this is a pro Lucian podcast. So <laughs> very much. To be on the defense of him here today mm-hmm. because a lot of people look to this book, particularly when it comes to shipping wars in this fandom. So, like, kind of where we're at, just to give you like a context, if you're not like too keyed in online, like we are about what's going on <laughs> in this fandom, and we get the seeds of it here is the triangle between Lucian, Elaine, who's his mate, and then Azrael. And there's a lot of setup of potential like Elaine and as thing here. Um, and so, and again, I don't say this is, I don't think this is a spoiler because their stories are not the stories that are being told in the next two books we're covering. It's still unresolved. So um, I don't, I don't think that needs to go into a spoiler section, but we're going to yeah. like look at it in terms of like, what is here, but what a lot of people point to is like, not liking Lucian or I guess in defense of their wanting Elaine to be with Azriel, is Lucian in this book and his, his kind of behavior in this book and you know, how he didn't, we talked a lot about like, you know how he didn't to whatever extent he was able, like stand up for Farrah in the beginning of a court mist and fury. And then one of the things that people point to about this book is that like, he is only really, or like the argument made against Lucian in this book is that like, he is only on Farrah's side because Elaine is is me. And I vehemently disagree with that. Mm -hmm. For many reasons. I think there are so many parallels drawn in this book between Lucian and Feyre and their reactions to the night court and what is so different about it compared to where they came from at spring. And, you know, Feyre thinks about this when it comes to, to Lucian and his reaction on things. At one point she slips into his mind too. And he's with Elaine, which is maybe not great. Of her to do, but she's in his POV at that point, and he thinks, like, you know, that circle of people who now claim to be Feyre's new family—it was long ago what he thought life would be like at Tamlin's court. So, like, he has been with Tamlin again. We said this last week, hundreds of years longer than Feyre was there. So he is really just at the mercy of Tamlin for so much longer than than Feyre was, and is also victimized by Tamlin a longer period of time, not quite in the same way as Farah, but he's, and he's never known any difference. So yes, if his mate is the impetus for him to leave that abusive situation, I think that's great. And it's not dissimilar to me of how Farah is able to break through that because of her mate, because of mm-hmm. Resand, And that is ultimately the thing that enables her to leave. So I, I just have a lot of Soft feeling solution. I think his his growth in this book is great. I think when you look to the fact that again, he's been under Tamlin's thumb for hundreds of hundreds of years, how quick he is able to jump into supporting the night court and being on board with it, despite those hundreds of years of like <laughs> abuse, is very commendable.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to note too that he acknowledges the ways that he failed Farah. And he apologizes for them and he tries to make them better. And he says at one point, I think um, you were a better friend to me than I ever was to you. And he, you know, he has ulterior motives for not like ratting her out in the spring court, like despite knowing exactly what she's up to, but he still does it. And he, and he does it like he's, he's the first to just be like, like, yeah, I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you. Um, Helps protect her on the way to finding you know, heading towards the night court, even from his own family. I also really appreciate the way that he handles the Elaine stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Knowing that like they have, you know, how, how deeply effective affecting these mating bonds are, especially to the men that he is very cognizant of like giving her space and not bothering her at all and not hovering really like he When she's in the same room with him, like, he's looking at her, but he's not, like, pestering. He's very much giving her her space. I don't know. I just, I don't see the Lucian hate at all as, like, I don't see the validity in that besides preferring another ship. Which is something that fandom does a lot, which is, like, I'm going to tear down this one character because they are threatening the ship I prefer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And what ultimately bothers me about like Lucian is that, again, because I do see him as a victim in so many ways, that's what makes me really uncomfortable with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, particularly here too, he is sexually abused by mm-hmm. Ianthe in this book. And he does the Rite of Kalamai, which he says to Feyre, like, this was of my own will. But Feyre thinks about how, had, uh, about how a line had been blurred badly and she wished she had been there to stop it. So like, yeah, he sleeps with during part of that but he's obviously deeply deeply uncomfortable and then she legitimately sexually assaults him and Farrah saves him at the end and that is the impetus for him to leave so to tear him down and say like oh you know he's being disrespectful of Elaine or anything like that like he's being super respectful and he he has been victimized too in so many ways so like the arguments for me just they turn nasty in a way that like for someone who is a a victim to like tear them down just makes me really really deeply uncomfortable and i don't like it at all
1: when your ship like the validity of your ship depends on you shitting on another character i think i mean come on like yeah like let's let's go outside and touch some grass guys like like this is fiction. It's okay that you prefer another ship, but you don't need to like abuse another character to do it. And if you feel like you need to, maybe like that requires a little bit of like self-evaluation. Like, why are you doing
0: that? Well, and the thing is too, it's like, you like Asriel too. Like we can't really talk about our full thoughts on the shipping situation yet uh, for other plot reasons that are still to come, but we People have real. Like it's not like a question of like even a preference of one or the other. But what is like interesting to me is like people love these books for kind of how Sarah does write multi faceted characters. I mean, that's what Reand is. That's what like Ferrah's whole journey is is realizing mm-hmm. like that what Talon was wasn't what she thought he was. Lucian has layers and he's complicated, but that doesn't mean he's not good. You know, she says, or he says to Vera at one point, I hadn't realized I was the villain in your narrative. And she goes, you weren't. And then she thinks in her head, not entirely. But like, he's not, he's not, he's Mm -hmm. not the villain in this narrative at all. And so he has, has layers here. And I think when he's put into a, a tight spot, he rises to the occasion and then some, and he volunteers to go help find, What's her name? Bassa, the firebird queen. He does that. He, he goes like by himself. He goes by himself. He is very respectful of Elaine. You know, one of the things too, this is when I'm going to start getting frustrated a little bit with how Sarah uses Resand going forward. And I don't want to say too much about my thoughts on it going forward. I still love him deeply. When you write a character like Resand, who is so widely beloved by the fandom, that anything he then says is taken as gospel by the fandom. So when he says things to Feyre like, it's okay that you went into Lucian's mind because he broke his promise to not seek out Elaine unless you told him it was okay. The fandom then, I think, uses those moments to latch on to their perspective that, okay, well, Lucian's bad because Resand. Is telling me that he's bad, we mm-hmm. all, I think, get a similar moment here too with Nesta. Where and Favorite gets mad at him for saying, I don't think Valaris is ready to like have Nesta unleash on it. And she's like, My sister isn't some feral animal, like you know. Mm-hmm. And especially when you contrast that with the way he talks about Elaine and how yeah.
1: he's so sweet, he's like, Oh, is there anything we can get you, Elaine? Is there anything you need? He's so gentle with her, it's so sweet, but that's because Elaine is gentle and sweet. He sees Nesta and he's just like, Bleh. You know, like,
0: I don't like it. Yes. So, I mean, Rysand isn't perfect. And I think that's great to not have him be totally perfect. However, I would prefer to have him be perfect just so I could love him Mm -hmm. unabashedly. And I do for the most part. So I think that that's where a lot of these things come from, too, because he is the one who, you know, again, if you it's like Nesta. And we talked a lot about this in the last book. If you are reading just fair as POV, she has great feelings for Lucian. She hugs him at the end. Mm-hmm. She's she's so concerned about him and how it relates to the uh, meeting bond with Elaine. She she loves Lucian. She stops her own escape to protect him. Exactly. She has a great understanding of Lucian, much in the same way she has a great understanding of Nesta. And I, I can't, again, help but think, A, it's shipping reasons, but then also we do have, you know, minor moments from Rhysand where he's like, uh, yeah this is okay. it's okay to do this because he's like breaking rules and then it sets up the idea that he is somehow being discourteous to elaine with her trepidation with the mating bond and i just don't think that that's the case he's setting all, the yeah. tone on how like people are going to feel about certain characters yeah uh, i just i love him i think he does great stuff in this book he immediately like offers to help asriel like he has a good point about like pharaoh's power and how like the other high lords are going to react to that like he just great book For Lucian, I think, um, Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting in a book that doesn't have, like we said, a lot of a huge emotional like journeying left for Reese and Feyre, like to kind of see his progression through it is very fascinating to me. Um, And then also, I just, (laughs) as I read this part about when they're on the run and he like puts his hair up and he's like fishing with bare hands. Feyre's like, oh, let me like make a fishing pole or whatever. And she looks and Lucian's just like (laughs) in the river. Lucian Vanceara
1: just why is he so hard we we had like a really rough couple of weeks in our DM where we were sending with with a friend of the pod Jesse just a lot exchanging a lot of um, Lucian fan art and to to those fan artists I say bless you you are doing the lord's work and we appreciate your efforts uh please keep it up give us so much shirtless Lucian (laughs) with his
0: pants very low
1: very very low and i want to see more with his hair up cuz that is a that is a visual i'm not yeah. i am not ready to put down yet
0: and as he said to me with the fishing with his bare hands thing it's our competence king coming out in full it is. force like, it really is mm-hmm. we love to see it we love to see it and then we also learn too, even more about like his his family during all of this too and like you know why his family like tried to like run him out like because he was just as a seventh son, he had room to like learn and and learn a lot about the territory and also like speak with the people. And then the people started really liking him. And um, he's a good ag. I won't hear yes. otherwise. And again, I we have we won't go too terribly maybe we will terribly deep into our shipping thoughts this episode. I ultimately just want Lucian to ha- be happy. That's like my number one mm-hmm. goal. I don't if it's Elaine, great. If it's not, great. Let us know
1: if you too want Get Lucian laid
0: 2021 t-shirt. I, I forgot we talked about that. I, <laughs> I don't care who it is. Just let him let him get some. Honestly, just be just give my boy a good day. Yeah, I guess while we're here, then we can talk about we'll talk about Elaine and Azriel. Then too, uh, you know, I tried very consciously going through this book to take a step back and really look at Elaine as a character in the way that I want people to stop and take a look at Nesta as they go through these books, because I feel like it was maybe a hypocritical of me to be like, you know, we are all projecting our internalized misogyny as a fandom on our collective perception of Nasta. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be like, okay, like why don't I like Elaine? And I do think she has a lot lacking in terms of like personality that I find compelling. I like a sharp prickly character, which is why I'm always going to like Nasta more. It's Mm -hmm. why I say that I, is not my favorite fancy heroine of all time. She's even a little too soft for me. I much prefer Aelin from Throne of Glass, who is like just a smart aleck, like sharp prickly thing like the whole time. So that is, I think it's mostly coming down to personal preference for me. But she does have really good moments in this book, so I have to like give her credit for that because she does she does some good stuff. I mean, she is still a bit boring. Her per- again, her personality <laughs> is not super healing to me. But she, her, her killing the king of Highborn is mm-hmm. incredible.
1: I really love that follow through for both Lelaine and Nesta. Uh, you know, when right before Al- 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 Nesta goes into the cauldron, you know, she points that finger at Hibern. Uh, And and she makes good on that threat and Elaine to have Elaine be the one that like kicks that off by, you know, what does she say? Like, stay away from my sister. Like, don't touch my sister. Um, And then stabs him in the neck. Like that is not something you would expect from Elaine, but I love it. I'm glad that she got... To have some sort of impact on the overall storyline because otherwise she's just like this fragile little teacup that everybody's
0: trying to protect. But she does. So I've noticed more than like to kind of counter like, is she as fragile as we thought she is? She doesn't get kidnapped scary but what i love in that moment it's kind of a subtle moment but like Azriel has her and they're like, trying to get Farah to like run run and they have this like human girl there who fair is insistent that they st- take from highburn camp and elaine starts yelling at her like come on like we have to go now like she's yelling at the girl like no go. like so she does rise to the occasion and i think ultimately i was just a little too critical of like her heartbreak and how traumatizing the whole process of being turned was, and I give Nesta a lot of credit for that in terms of like why she is the way she is. This is a very huge violating thing that she went through. And so then I am a little more forgiving of Elaine in this book for her reaction to that. It's horrible. She was terribly in love. I also love the moment though too, when they go to Grace and her fiance to be like, you need to let the humans into your, your keep uh, mm. here so that they can be safe. You know, she says to him at one point, it's like, oh, you have this mate. Like, do you know what that means? You belong to him. And she goes, I belong to no one, but my heart belongs to you. So it's like, that's a great Wolf in it. Like, I love that. And so, like, I get her hesitancy to accept the meaning. When I say that, like, I ultimately probably am an illusion shipper, as they're called. It's mostly because Lucian is um, my baby and I love him. But... I <laughs> I like wouldn't hate if it was Elaine either. Like she has a nice moment in that moment too where she's like she says his name is Lucian. Like she's she has mm-hmm. like a defensive moment and it might be the mating bond coming out too, but she's not like totally resistant to it. I really appreciate that moment because like we've
1: seen her throughout ever since she found out about Lucian, like barely being able to make eye contact with him, like barely saying one word to him. But she yeah. does speak his name, which
0: feels like a very big deal in this moment. And then at the end, too, like Farah like nudges her because she's like, Oh, Lucian, where are you gonna go next? And Farah nudges Lane and he's she's like, Oh, you come to Valera. So, like she's getting there on her own. Like she's mm-hmm. not um totally clueless on a lot of that. I just think that it's also
1: Like, there's something to be said for how, like, you were talking about how traumatizing it was for her to be made Faye and to lose, like, this big love that she had. Like, she was fully in love with Grayson. Yeah. But also the fact that she's dealing with these new powers that are, like, very confusing for her and for everybody else. I mean, for a while, everybody thinks that she's gone mad. She just kind of keeps, you know, having these visions and seeing weird things, and nobody really knows what to make of them because they're all kind of vague or, like, almost metaphorical. Yeah. And like, that's, that's really rough to deal with. Like they have like doctors coming to see her and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I do. I think that she should be given allowances for all of these things. Um, obviously, I don't think it would make sense for her to jump right into Lucian's arms or even Azriel's arms um, after the grace and stuff. And I mean, I think like you, I don't actually have anything against Elaine besides that. I think she's just not my kind of
0: personality right.
1: yeah. type. Like she's just not the kind of character I naturally gravitate toward. Yeah. Um, but I don't, ha- you know, I don't have any well, ill shit. feelings for her, but also I think that there's a lot under the surface there because we've, we don't really get, we've never gotten Elaine POVs. Right. And I think that especially in like coming books, like there are moments where like, she seems to understand more than you would think that she does. She seems to like have deduced a lot of things and she feels like somebody Almost similar to Azriel, where they're just like very observant, and I think that there's more under the surface there than people give her credit for. Yeah,
0: well, that's what she says at one point to about Grayson. Like, no one has ever seen me. No one sees me. He saw me, Mm -hmm. and I do think that's a good piece of evidence that people who want her to be with Azriel like point to. Is that I think Az in this book really does like see her. You know, he's the one who's like, she's a seer. You know, he knows that she has this strength. He gives her truth teller his weapon that he's never let anyone wield before. And she uses it to great effect. So, yeah, she has more there. I do want to highlight this one passage, though, which I think for me probably highlights. It's not necessarily Elaine's fault, but I'll just read the passage and I'll say what I'm thinking about it. This is from again, Farrah's POV. As has this whole podcast. I don't know why I decided to clock it. <laughs> but this is when Farrah comes back from the Supreme Court. She's done playing spy and she is looking at Elaine, who's just like totally like melted down. Nesta's already like got her haunches up and is like in prickly defense mode. But this is what Farrah thinks about Elaine. Elaine had always been gentle and sweet and I had considered it a different sort of strength, a better strength to look at the hardness of the world and choose over and over to love and to be kind. She'd always been so full of light. And I don't, I don't even necessarily blame Farah. Like, I don't think that that she is saying that like Elaine is better because this is how she is. Like, I think her own perception of her sisters changes throughout the book. And she realizes that like Nasta, again, as we talked about, she knows Nesta loves deeply. It just comes out differently. I think it's passages like that that highlight why people don't like Nesta because, again, of this veneration of softer, softer prettier strength. strength. Mm -hmm. Yes. And just I love no matter what. And I'm going to be kind no matter what. And it's just like it's nauseating to me, but I think a lot of people (laughs) feel that way. Um, And I think that putting passages like that in here. Are things again that people then as the reader kind of pick up on and are like i'm supposed to like elaine but ba- you know elaine mm-hmm. is better because of this and i just don't think that's true and again i don't necessarily think that that's what Paris is saying in that moment but it's passages like that, that i think are damaging it's worded in, in in a
1: way that conveys that like there's that implication there because you know she says like oh a stronger kind of strength or a better kind of strength or whatever yeah. and i think there's a way to, to put all of that in there but not Not like you said, venerated above other kinds of strength, like a different kind of strength. Yes, but not necessarily a better one, not a stronger one, not, you know, like there, there are ways to convey that message without placing it above other kinds of, of personality types and strengths.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm coming away a little more positive on her than last time. Don't you touch my sister as she knows the king Mm -hmm. of hybrid, badass moment. So I'll continue to reserve judgment on her I feel like I just it's very easy and it's like funny in fandom right like we talk about this a lot too I don't like when other people make fun of these books but I love to make fun of them, but I'm like in on it. I'm making fun of it of a place of love. So mm-hmm. that, and whereas outsiders are like, oh, this is, they use like fairy porn as like a derogatory, mm-hmm. like slur about these books where I'm like, ah, these are like silly fairy porn. Mm-hmm. Like, but I'm allowed to do that because I love it. So that's where I want to get with Elaine. Like I'm allowed to poke fun at her because I love all the Archer sisters, And I would just, it's a fun fandom joke to me that like, she doesn't have a personality. <laughs> and <laughs> which actually very minor uh, court of silver flames uh spoiler nesta says something like that and i was in court of silver flames modeling i was like sarah are you reading my dms (laughs) are you reading my text messages because so it's like it's an in joke i think at this point the fandom Mm -hmm. and so i would like to like continue to like poke at that a little bit because it's like ultimately i think harmless
1: yeah i think we've established that we we very much appreciate the fandom in jokes uh making
0: fun of Farah yeah. for <laughs> being a bad artist yeah yeah so I've, god i saw like a a reel recently on instagram or something and it was about like the shipping wars or whatever and the most liked comment that the creator ended up pinning was like mostly I just ship a lane with a personality and it's like that's just mm-hmm. it's funny like it's funny It is funny. There's obviously more to her. We haven't gotten her story and they will reserve judgment. While we're here talking about the Archeron sisters, should we talk talk about our our main girl? Seems natural. Well, Nesta, 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 Nesta. I guess (laughs) it's kind of, it's hard to talk about Nesta in this book without talking about Cassian too, because Mm -hmm. just Cassian, number one, Nesta supporter and Stan in this book, we love to see it. You know, he's the one who's saying things about like how prickly she's become and everything he says i don't blame her cassie said, shrugging despite his words she was violated her body stopped belonging wholly to her and i'm like he's right he should say it Mm -hmm. that's it i remember like reading somewhere once like online someone saying like "Uh, why is nesta being so like whiny like she doesn't like she gets to be like beautiful and live forever like that sucks like eh." i hate that so much because of what cassie just said like this was a violation it was a horrible traumatic thing that happened to her and to like ever take that position with her just is very offensive to me on a base level (laughs) because she she's been through and so is elaine and that's why i'm also trying to be a little softer towards elaine because they both had a very bad thing happen to them but it's kathy who's the one who's like she needs to get out of the house she'll destroy herself if she stays cooped up in here he tries to push her to train so it's just really good uh seeds for their for their story i think Going forward. And I continue to love all the Farah and Nesta stuff. Again, Farah continues to have this very deep understanding of Nesta. She, you know, talks and thinks about how, you know, Nesta at one point doesn't say how it's going when she and Aaron are studying together to learn how to fix the wall. And Farah clocks out. Nessa doesn't want to show vulnerability or a lack of control. Like that's where a lot of her walls come from. Cause she wants to show that she's in control. And so she's not telling Cassie and others about how it's going because she doesn't want to show that. And for, because of that, like Fairy doesn't know how to help her to ask if she's okay, because like they've never had that affectionate relationship because that affection to Nessa ends up coming out. Like she's viewing it as vulnerability. So like, it takes Feyre time to learn how to navigate, like how to speak essentially in Nesta's like love language and like how to connect with her in a way that's very, they're deep, they're different, but it doesn't mean that they can't find commonality and find ways to like come together. I do love that. um, In,
1: in this book, it's just made even more evident that the only two people that really truly understand Nesta are Feyre and Cassian. And, And like, Amin to a smaller degree, but that, you know, I don't want to get into that because there's like spoilery stuff, but just Farrah and and Cassian. And it, it takes Farrah a little bit of time, like you were saying to to fully understand where Nesta is coming from. But Cassian seems to just get her right away before there's any indication that there there could be anything else to that relationship. the way they like subconsciously move toward each other in a room. The way that like their eyes just follow, like just track each other. Like when Cassian is is battling, you know, like during you know uh, when he's fighting during the battles, and Nessa's eyes just don't leave him the entire time, and she's just yeah. so completely on edge. Like the way that Cassian will put his body between Nessa and anything that potentially threatens her, even if that thing is a member of his own family. Yeah. And the way that like Nessa lets him, which yeah. is like a, a big thing in itself. Yeah. Um, I mean, God, in that scene at the end of the book on the battlefield where she, like, covers his body with her own, the way she, like, calls him down to avoid getting obliterated with, like, half the Illyrian army. And he's, like, mad at her for it, but, like, she saved him. And just the way – and she does all of these things while simultaneously pretending he doesn't mean anything to her. She'll barely look at him if he's looking at her, like (laughs) – like, she, she'll she barely acknowledge him in a room, but then at that High Lord's meeting or whatever, and she, like, somebody refers to him as a bastard, and she's like, that bastard might be the only thing that stands between you and Highburn's army. So, like, put a little respect on his fucking name, you know? Yeah. And then he looks at her like he's never seen her before. I don't, I just love them. I Their whole thing, it works yeah. so
0: well for me. Yeah, it works really well. And I, like, just love, like, exactly what you said, that he totally gets her and understands her. And at the beginning, too, Farrah, you know, she continues to, like, learn more and more about Nessa as this book goes on. But it's, like, in the beginning more, I think, is that same scene where Cassian's like, I don't blame her. Like, she went through this whole thing. And I think, you know, Feyre and Cassian's friendship is very special to me, too. Uh, but she, So she's concerned about him, too, much in the same way she's concerned about both Lucian and Elaine and their whole, like, situation. But she says to him, like, why Like Why do you bother Cassian? He's like, because I can't stay away. I, 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 know, I love all that stuff so much but then you know Nessa has great moments too in this book I like that both her and Elaine do have great moments in this book but I think Nessa has even more too and it's not just mm-hmm. all the like the Nessian stuff that is so good which I love so much but like I really love that at first she is hesitant to tell her story she doesn't want to go with to the High Lords meeting and like explain because a very deeply personal thing it would be like i think asking like a rape victim to come and talk to people about Mm -hmm. like what it was like to be raped, and she pushes back on it and she's absolutely within her rights to do that but then she goes because she wants to not say that she didn't do anything yeah that quote where she says like i don't want to be remembered as a coward yeah yeah, but then she gets up in front of them. All all these high lords of Rithian Nesta, gets up and is like, too long, for too long have humans beneath the wall suffered and died while you and Prithian thrived, not during that queen's reign, but long before. If you fight for anything, fight now to protect those you forgot. Let them know they're not forgotten just this one. So it's like, I love that moment for her. She reads them all for filth, and she does not give a fuck.
1: Um, One of my favorite things, though, about Nesta throughout this entire book that I just found absolutely delightful was that every time somebody meets her, be they human, fae, some other creature, every time anybody meets Nessa, they just look at her, and they're just like, what the fuck is that? Like, yeah. she, she terrifies everybody around her, and
0: I just love it. I love that for her. But then when you think of all of that, those moments, and you can see, like, how she's bothered by it, too. Like, no one understands it. No one understands what it is. There's so much talk about, like, Some I mean she literally took power from the cauldron like we know this here she can has this connection with it and it's so big and we talk about it so much you know Amaranth says great things to her like when you erupt girl make sure it's felt across worlds like that's great but not only has Nesta been like violated she has this huge huge power that no one knows what it is and like imagine how isolating that is I just like that she uses that fear that she uses that fear to
1: like cow people like to and and like sort of make fun of these men that are like so afraid of this unknown quantity of a a person
0: yeah i just i like that what i love about nessa is that i think that you do that like irrespective of that power though which Mm -hmm. is like why she's great um but yeah i just think like the lack of empathy like surrounding like she has and in the same way elaine too like they both have like totally new like powers all of a sudden and no one really knows the extent or like what they are. And so that's very isolating. And so again, the lack of empathy around that makes me like sad um, to read about because um, again, they both went through it. Um, I also really like this moment too, though, when they go to the, to Grayson's and they're like in the small little cabin and, you know, Rhysand is speaking to her through the bond to Farah And it's like, it's okay. Like no place can hold you, blah, 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 blah. blah. And that's to like tracks that Farrah isn't right. And Farrah shares with her, like, I have a hard time with, small spaces, blah, 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 blah. And Nesta says, like, I can't get into bathtubs anymore. And then is like, oh, like, yeah. So again, Farah has these moments of, like, understanding of why Nesta is the way she is, and the fandom should, too. Yeah. And um, there's also that moment where
1: Nesta tells Farah like, I didn't even know you, you couldn't read. Like, she yeah. didn't know that was a real thing. She's like, I just assumed that you could read as well as we could. So that again, I think goes back to some of our our criticisms of Farah in the first Akitar episode that we did. How one of Farah's things is that she had, had this inability, sorry. She had this inability to ask for help or to admit, yeah. you know, that she needed something from somebody else. So She's going around being like, oh, my sisters don't even teach me how to read. But they didn't even know she didn't know how because she didn't tell them. I mean, they were
0: all kids at that time. They all like. So I appreciated that
1: reckoning, though, because that's another thing that the fandom like uses against Nesta. Yeah. That she sat there and made fun of favor for being illiterate, but never bothered to teach her how to read. Well, she just she didn't know. Um, And I think that's fair. I
0: love when the three sisters come in and they sleep in the same bed together after they save Elaine from Highburn mm-hmm. it's just it's very soft I I love the sister that's, stuff it's good it's good stuff
1: that's another thing um when Feyre went to rescue Elaine and they came back and Nessa just like throws herself into Feyre's arms and yeah. like
0: stops. she like gets there before Reese like Reese mm-hmm. goes to like make sure mm-hmm. Feyre is okay and it's like Nessa's there for a second. I love that a lot just a couple of additional nesting moments. I think we both have nesting and Soon, but some other moments I just really like. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I'm very much um, into touching. Very is the only thing I like to read about. So Nesta is, is wrapping Cassian's wrist after it's injured. It's very soft. I like it. This is like a quiet moment I really like where they're going... I forget where exactly, but more is waiting to winnow them and Cassian won't take his eyes off of Nesta and he like uh. reaches around more and just like interlaces his fingers with Nesta and then like reaches back to more like, and it says, quote, in silent order to transport them. He's just like, get out of my way more. Got to get my I already down. loved
1: Cassian, but like seeing Cassian in context with with Nesta is just like, what a fucking dream. Oh my God, it's so hot. But also, I just love him.
0: Again, as I said last week, the more I read these books, the more my Cassian feelings just like skyrocket to like just unbelievable levels. Um, his self sacrifice at the end of I can't handle it. You gave everything, Reese. You went through that hell for us for 50 years. You think I don't know what happened? I know, Reese. We all do. And we know you did it to save us, spare us. Let us return the favor. Let us repay the debt. And then he's just like, I'm going with Nesta to like draw out the King of Hybrid. It's just, mm, mm, mm. You want yeah. for me too he's a such a good a good (laughs) so much like and he's just pure good like he just is while we're on bat boys talk about as briefly i just like moments of humor that we get finally from as in this book where he's training fair how to fly and she's just like like as is low-key funny and i appreciate that you know i think we both when we read this book not to put words in your mouth tasia but i think we both kind of like imprinted on as because we like the dark quiet Mm -hmm. ones Mm -hmm. uh but it's nice to see like more of him i would still like more of him yeah Yeah, but we're not there yet uh maybe someday um and it's (laughs) He, it is. It is really great. Like how he is very receptive to Elaine and like kind of clocks what she needs. and No one else really is. And her, him giving her truth teller is like a super, super great moment. And like his willingness to go and get Elaine is mm-hmm. really good. I mean, the people that she that that ship
1: uh, Elaine and Azriel like. There's there's not nothing there. Oh yeah, I, no, no. I 100%. do I do appreciate that. Like, they're very similar in a lot of ways. Like, we were talking about how they're both more observers than anything else. The quiet kind of understanding they they share with each other is really nice. And I think it's just as nice in a friendship as it is in a romantic relationship.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, let's talk about more. Yeah. So, um, okay. I love more in part of Mist and Fury. I think she's a great friend to Farah. I like her a lot. What, what was Sarah Jane Ross doing with her in this book? I don't understand it. And I think this is one a lot of times, particularly in this series, I think, Natasha hasn't read Throne of Glass yet. There's other bad representation issues in that series. I think for me, other than like, obviously like the lack of diversity in this world in Prithian is a big issue, but the biggest like representation red flag to me is more. Mm-hmm. I think this
1: this also goes to like, How Farah is like 19 and the most mature person in the room more Mm -hmm. using the way that the way that she sleeps with Helion just to remind Asriel that he doesn't have a chance with her like and it's so unnecessary because Asriel would never put the move on her like she would have to make the moves on him he didn't need, like, that felt so unnecessarily cruel. And she didn't even want to do it. So she's sitting there looking miserable and sorry for herself the next day. And it's like, well, you just use this one dude for sex just to send a message, an unnecessary message to somebody that you supposedly care about. Like, that was just so unnecessary. And and the, the way that it's framed later is like, oh, this is why it's bad reasoning. Because she says like, oh, I don't want you know, my family to have this one thing, because if they knew about this, like they couldn't do anything to me, but they could like destroy this, this part of me, they could make me hate this, this thing about myself, but they can't, they can't do that because they don't have any kind of impact on your life. Really? Like you barely see them. It's been 500 years. And this just feels like, I mean, it very much just feels like a straight woman writing what she would think this queer experience would be, but it's It's very like cliche, stereotypical, like I'm in the closet because I'm, you know, I'm I'm afraid of this and that. But like in this context, it does not make the same kind of sense it would make in reality.
0: Sarah tries to do a little bit of work in that regard in terms of setting up this conflict with Reason more about how he goes to her her father because he needs his dark bringers or whatever to join the war and offers up I'm in Valaris to them. Mm-hmm. And that is very upsetting to Moore. And so obviously I think what Sarah's trying to do is by that is like sh- set up a little bit of how deeply affected and scared more still is of what her, what that power is that her f- father, despite her not wanting it does still wield over her and i don't I just don't think the execution of it then is is great. It's very frustrating to you know we talk about a lot of this amongst ourselves and just like read a lot online about like how stories have how about queer stories have like changed over time and how they're presented, and we're getting you know more and more stories of just like people being in love and getting to like be out versus like coming out stories. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, yes, like you said, this is like a way that for a long time, like coming out and like why people remained in the closet, like was depicted like fear. And then also just like it also reminds me a lot of like stories that we get a lot about, like closeted person being like the bully. And it's like, well, they were doing it because they were gay and they were hiding and they were. Yeah. Scared. And I don't. I don't like that because I don't think that's true. Um, not, I mean, it is true sometimes, but I think the way media s- makes it seem is like that's like super common. And I don't think that that's the case. That like homophobia equals like somebody being in the closet. Yeah. And I think
1: that's really harmful to, yeah. <laughs> to the queer community. But also like, I think it's it's a really, it plays on a really bad stereotype here with more essentially stringing along Cassian and Asriel for 500 yeah, years. The worst part that's a really bad stereotype about queer women um, messing with men's emotions or, or, or being teases or, or this or that. Um, It's, it's really bad. I think that's, that's kind of harmful representation. Also just like how fucking, like, these are your family and you won't tell them, like, I understand, keep it away from your family. Maybe don't tell your family if that's what's important to you, but like, why wouldn't you tell these people that love you so much that, you know, it, it feels like if there's anybody safe to tell, it's them. And the fact that instead, what she does is string them along, yeah and 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 become jealous of like the way she treats Nesta is really shitty um and and it's played almost as like this kind of jealousy over Cassian that just doesn't make any sense. I yeah. don't like it
0: I. I'm not going to blame more the character for not wanting to tell even the inner circle. That's fine. That's valid. People have all sorts of reasons. And I think you're right. Like, you know, they would totally support her. And so, you know, we talk a lot about that with Farah too. Like, her issues with herself are very internalized and they're not based on like what other people actually think of her on the outside. So I, I get that. I'm fine with that. It's the fact that then she treats her her family these people that she loves and she says she loves them so so poorly because uh solely because of the fact that she's afraid to come out i hate that so she admits
1: much. that she's essentially stringing them along for 500 years like she fully admits that she's like oh you must think ter- you know terribly of me because i'm i've been messing with them for five and it's like yes that that's a bad like it's really bad you can stay in the closet be you know maybe come out in your own time but the way that she's hurting herself and everybody around her by living this lie, it's, it feels so unnecessary for her to be messing with Azriel and Cassian in this way. Like Cassian, yeah, doesn't care, but she uses him for sex in order to again, save uh, or like send Asriel a message.
0: Yeah. that yeah. We get that revelation. That's why she chose Cassian because she'd already tell that Az liked her. And mm-hmm. then, yeah no it's 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 not great as doesn't deserve it it's terrible because especially like she sleeps with um helion here after as like springs to her defense with eris and then she like does it to like put as in his place it's like god forbid yeah. it's just it's a it's a tough it's a tough look for your only queer character yeah as does the same
1: thing for pharah and he's not trying to fuck her like Moore did not need to do that it was such an unnecessary message because yeah. again like i said she would He would never make a move. It's been 500 years. If he hasn't made a move on her yet, he's never going to. They acknowledge multiple times in this series that Az would never be the one to make that move on her. So why does she feel like she needs to send him that message? It feels unnecessarily cruel and hurtful to herself. Like she is harming herself in doing that too. She doesn't want to sleep with Helion. She does it. Yeah she does it to hurt somebody else essentially. And it's just fucked
0: up. I don't like it.
1: It's yeah. a really bad, it plays on really bad stereotypes on queer women.
0: Yeah. And then I don't like too how, and I still don't quite get why she's so resistant to Nesta. And I don't want to get in spoilers for like future books, but like, even in this book, she's like not really into the fact that like Cassian's into Nesta. And it's like, we don't know why we don't have her POV. So it's like, she's trying to protect Cassian or she just like being a bitch for no reason. Like, I don't get it. It feels like she's being possessive because like, yeah,
1: She's had them we've seen play with for 500 years. Exactly. And we've yeah. seen um, through like bonus chapters and other people's POVs that like Cassian, for example, is kind of jealous of both Moore and Asriel with each other. Like they're all so like inextricably intertwined with each other that I feel like they're they're jealous of. I mean, none of them were jealous of Farah. Maybe it's because she was so enta- entwined with Reese and not them. But those three, Cassian, Moore, and Asriel, like need to take a couple of steps back from each yeah. other because yeah. this is not healthy.
0: Yeah. One of the things I also don't like, and she we get this and this is a great part about more and what I really like, you know, they, she, along with Reese have been very instrumental in making like the library a safe place for the priestesses. So it's like, she's worked, she's had terrible trauma in her life. She's working with people who have terrible trauma in their life. And so, like why she's not like receptive to like other people's trauma, like Nastas, is frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, so again, citing back to this source that I cannot find anymore <laughs> about like the future books in the series is uh, that Sarah it seemed at one point to have planned for a more book and it, reading the next two books. I think the setup is kind of there for it. I'm so so super hesitant of what <laughs> the book will be. I mean, mm-hmm. I just don't have confidence in her ability, and we, we talk about this a lot or kind of hinted a lot and chew on personally about like how to include representation in your books. If you are not within the groups that you're trying to depict that representation of, I don't know that I want Sarah J. Mass and a straight woman writing this queer woman's story because her books, she, I give Sarah a ton of credit for all the emotional journeys that she's taken a lot of her characters on great stuff. I can't wait to talk about Silver Flames. One of my favorite emotional journeys of a character. So she has it within her. I just don't know that I trust her based on this book to be able to do that with a queer character with any, um, it, in any way that doesn't create <laughs> me. But we'll see. Yeah. yeah, I have a I have
1: a couple of issues with with a more focused book. Like first of all, I'm just not interested. Right. Uh, especially after this book, like I'm just kind of annoyed with more. And and like you said, I don't trust <laughs> Sarah J. Mass to to write this book. And also, like these, we've talked a lot about how these books are kind of like they're romance, romantic fantasy, romance fantasy, as opposed to like fantasy romance, right? Like mm-hmm. these are primarily romance books, um, maybe with the exception of this one, which feels very much a like political war book. But um, yeah. I, I don't know how a more book is going to read with these being primarily romance because I don't see Sarah J Mass as being the type of, of ostensibly straight woman that's going to write sexy, uh, WLW stuff. Like I just don't, I don't see that as happening. And if it did, I don't, I don't even know that I would want to read it because it's, you know, because of who it's coming from. Yeah. And so, if she if she writes this whole more book that doesn't have any kind of romantic subplot, it's going to feel tonally so different from the rest of the series that it's not going to feel cohesive. So, I don't know how this is going to work. What I would want, like in in an ideal world, I would want a more novella, yeah, where there is a background kind of build, like romantic buildup, yeah. But I mean, if you're getting a whole book and. I just I I don't see Sarah J. Mass as as being somebody to write because most most straight women feel more comfortable writing uh, MLM stuff than they do WLW stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that feels very true of Sarah J. Mass. So yeah, well, we we shall see. We shall see. But yeah, so that's just, that's uh, for me, the biggest number of this book. <laughs> what did I say? You, like, looked at my Goodreads review from when the first time I read it, and I think I'm maybe a little more positive now. As I said last time, the language issues in Sarah J. Maas books, I've started just to glaze over, and they don't bother me as much anymore. Uh, but what did I say for this one of my review? And I still, I still stand by it, I guess. I was a little maybe too hyper- hyperbolic. Uh, I've never read a series where I very much love so much of what happened yet also remain mildly infuriated while reading. But here I am five stars for character and plot, uh, three stars for a writing style that constantly drove me up a wall. I would I would bump that up now. It doesn't bother me anymore. But then two stars for a totally botched attempt at representation. Ronnie up to four because I cried my way through this. Yeah,
1: I think it's a totally fair assessment of the contents of this book. Yeah. But, you know, we, we tend to rate with our hearts and not with our, I know. Our, our minds necessarily. We've talked yes. a lot about like in our private chats about this um, in, in the way that we rate things. Yeah. yeah. Intellectually, maybe, maybe not a, a four or five star read.
0: Emotionally yeah. it is. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah. It is what it is. It contains multitudes. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Ameren briefly?
1: Uh, yeah. So, like, what the fuck is she doing? <laughs> like, this whole book, she's she's reading a book, this whole book, um, having, like, secret meetings with Nesta. We, we don't get any kind of insight into what's going on there. She feels very, like, she's just, oper- I mean, and because we don't get her POV, we just have no idea. She's operating on her own, like, wavelength here. And then at the end, just, you know, pulls a deus ex machina and, and wins the battle for them and gets to come back as a high fae. I don't, Feel very satisfied with Amarin's story at all, um, aside from the variant stuff, which I think is love, the very nice. Stuff. Yeah, it's very rushed. I think that part mm-hmm. of the end, and I think it's mostly because we have no idea what she's doing this whole book, so it just all you know come ha- comes out at the end where it, there's no buildup for it. There's no uh, like narrative reasoning for anything that's that's happening because we haven't seen any of it building up to this.
0: Yeah, my biggest issue was, well, I think it. she does it for, I think, the surprise. Because I remember the first time I read it being like, wait, Amarin, like, did she, is she a traitor? Like, what is happening? I think it all happens so fast where this surreal says to Farah, like, tell her it's on these two pages or whatever. And so, like, she doesn't know mm-hmm. until the end. I think plot-wise it happens a little too fast for me, but I, I like the emotional payoff of it for me like she makes this choice to come back and she's been so uncomfortable for so long and has been so, con- by being so contained and so that she makes that choice is really nice. So it on an emotional level, it worked for me, it just felt like it was like kind of whiplash at the end, but the whole end of this book is very fast. Um, so I think I'm maybe a little more positive on it than you are. Maybe I'm just like, very. I keep sending you, it's hard to find, but I keep seeking out and sending you um Amarin and Variant art. Just like a variant. Listen to that scene
1: where where he like just storms into the tent and like kneels in front of her and then picks her up and she like wraps her legs around him and he just walks her out so they can go like do the do. Yeah.
0: That Hot. is not an unaffecting scene. Okay. Oh, and then like comes out that later in his sexy. shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like that in the High Lords meeting when they're like, they showed up in and, and Summer Court, like, how do they know that's where Highburn's going to be? Maybe the Night Court's working with Highburn variants like, it me. Like, I yeah. said, I told them <laughs> for <laughs> uh, So, I, yeah, I, I kind of like that stuff, but I get it. I get that, I get the thing. Um, also, just as I mentioned him briefly, pour one out for the surreal, the death scene never ceases to make me cry. It is very... What a great like side yeah. character, very impactful, and the way that it's
1: revealed that he like intentionally sought her out every time she like tried to quote unquote trap him. He intentionally sought her out because he just liked her and she he trusted fine. her because they were because they were dreamers and they uh, wanted to change the world. And it's just, it's so sad.
0: The payoff to, again, payoffs from the first book we talked a lot about last week with the payoff of the line, stay with the High Lord, which in that in the first book, Sarah thinks means Tamlin. In the second mm-hmm. book, she thinks it means like, I should just stay with Rhysand. But then at the end, he the serial is telling her, stay with the High Lord, stay with the High Lord. And that's how she gets re- to stay and to not pass on into the next world. She tells mm-hmm. him, stay, stay. stay. And ah, uh, chef kiss payoff from Sarah. I love it. What a great character. Yeah. Great character. RIP. I think we are uh, the rest of my thoughts are spoiler thoughts. What about you? Yeah. Spoiler thoughts and uh, superlative right. type quotes. Yes. So, yeah. So let's do superlatives now so we don't have spoiler things. And after superlatives, we will have a little music cue before we go into some of our spoiler thoughts. All right. here quote. I wrote a lot here today. Didn't You've I? You've got goodness. a lot. Yeah. So why don't you start? Okay. Uh, This is when Farah and Lucian are are on the run and they're encountered by Lucian's brothers. And uh, one of the brothers says, there's no such thing as a high lady. One of Lucian's brothers spat a faint smile played on my mouth. There is now. (laughs) Big one, our girl. I love it. All
1: right. So Corinne this time got the jump on me in in the quotes, which is totally fine. So back for last week. Yeah, most of the genuine ones um, for all these categories are going to come from her. However, I'm I'm including this one as um, as kind of a joke because it's become this whole like meme in the fandom and I've seen it a lot on TikTok especially. Uh, so this is the quote. His growls of pleasure filled the tent, drowning out the distant cries of the injured and dying. Like this is so funny because it's like, <laughs> it's so tactless, right? They're like fucking in a tent, post this <laughs> giant battle where like there's so many like, tents full of people dying around them and they're just like getting it in it's really funny just like on on the surface but i I do get what sarah j mass is doing here which is kind of showing that like in a lot of situations like these where you've had a near-death experience or this big traumatic experience that uh people oftentimes turn to like the most life-affirming act that they can think of which a lot of times is sex uh On a psychological level, this makes a lot of sense. It's a very normal reaction. It's also very funny because it 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 is is just like so tacky in this scene. Like, and just the way it's worded, like drowning out the distant cries of the injured and dying. It's hilarious.
0: This book is too. And I think I've just like made my peace with it, which is why I say like the language doesn't bother me as much as like a lot of the fairy stuff is like sexy moments. And like, she's not my favorite writer in the world. So like, and it is all peppered in with, like, moments like that, like, and just, again, the growling and everything. It, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's all there, and I can still love them and still poke fun of it at it. So I, like, <laughs> included that. Okay, that's my next one. Cassian extended a wrapped hand, his fingers curling in a come-hither motion. Scared, I wisely cut my mouth shut as Nesta stepped away from the open doorway into the blinding light of the courtyard. Why should I be scared of an oversized bat who likes to throw temper tantrum? <laughs> it's like one of those things, like chicken or the egg. Did Sarah refer to them as bats first or did the fandom? Because like they're referred to as the bat boys all the time. And good question. Yeah. I don't know.
1: We already talked about this one, but um, like I said, this is, uh, I think, Tamlin's best moment and probably the most I've ever liked him and ever will like him. And that is when he says, be happy, Vera." Nice comment.
0: I like that, too. I'll just uh, read through these next three here that I have. Only you can decide what breaks you, curse breaker. Only you. Nice, empowering moment there. This is when... Reese, or sorry, this is when Farah and Azrael are about to go get Elaine from Highburn and Reese comes turns like gives her a pop up moment. Is like they took what is ours, and we do not let those crimes to go unpunished. His power rippled and swirled around me. You do not fear, Reese breathed. You do not falter. You do not yield. You go in, you get her, and you come out again. I nodded, again, holding his stare. Remember that you are a wolf that you cannot be caged. And I just, I like that little pop up. Also, you do not yield is a big throne of glass quote i won't say when it comes up in that series but um i like that she uses it um it's a bigger thing there but it's a nice uh, moment of the two series echoing each other i don't know if it's intentional but sometimes she's a little bit of a repetitive writer but uh i i like that that's a big moment in both of those series i
1: i like the way um like like i said earlier that reese kind of plays more of a supporting role to Fera in this book and he just is he he has so much faith in her and i really like yeah. that
0: it's good he the boy and then the, this I mean if I again if it was legally allowed for me to do so I'd read the entirety of Reese's speech at the end where he talks to all of them about what had uh, the last battle and he, he says if I haven't if I hadn't met you if I hadn't met you like it's great but mm-hmm. then this is the last bit of it we will walk onto that field and I only accept death when it comes to haul us away to the other world we will fight for life for survival for our futures but if it is decided By that tapestry of fate or the cauldron or the mother that we do not walk off that field today, his chin lifted. The great joy and honor of my life has been to know you, to call you my family. And I am grateful more than I can possibly say that I was given this time with you all.
1: Yeah, it's and it's like a page and a half of that, like in on my phone, which is where I was reading it. And I just have like the entire thing highlighted. It is just so it hurts it's,
0: me a lot. it's
1: really good. It's really good it, because everybody goes into that battle, like just being like, we're all going to die. Yeah. And so it's like the, the emotional heights there, like it just feels so fraught and so tense. And the way that they're all looking at each other as if it's the last time they're going to see each other, it's,
0: it's devastating. And it's not, we said this in our first episode too, Sarah J. is not like a wordsmith. We don't read these books for the prose, but she writes these relationships. So, so, so well. So even if it's not like the most, like, beautifully written thing I've ever read in mm-hmm. my life the payoff of three books of getting to know these characters and really only two books to really establish the whole inner circle and in their yeah. relationships to be sobbing your eyes after in that scene is it's it's quite a feat all right favorite character and favorite character arc I think for arc it's got to be Faira for me again for the reasons we talked about like confronting the Ouroboros and embracing all sides of herself is really great I like um Amarin's arc a lot too just in terms of being trapped here for so long, but then ultimately deciding to stay and like sacrifice her that same, uh, this, this intensive immortality that she had, choosing to be amongst like the people who really have become her family. I like that a lot. Character? That's a question. And realize I didn't write anything. And I see in your notes too, you're like, I don't know about character. I don't know either. I, I think there are, yeah, there's not just like one standout star
1: of this, of this yeah, book. Yeah, so I absolutely. have kind of like a five-way tie <laughs> between like uh, Reese, Cassian, Nesta, the Bone Carver, and Vera. Um
0: I agree with all that. I'm going to throw the cereal in there too. Oh yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah, I really, I think my biggest takeaway again in rereading the whole trilogy is like Cassian being just a superstar. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll go with Cassian because I love his moment of self-sacrifice. All the yeah. mess stuff's really great. His friendship with Pharaoh with Rhys. It, it just brings me great joy. He's so an, so an awesome. absolute
1: dream in this book. Like when he shows up to save Pharaoh, there's like him and Azriel. Oh, it's so hot It's too. so good. And Azriel being like, uh, like drop my
0: lady. <laughs> I <laughs> it's love it.
1: Uh, and the <laughs> way she just like throws herself at him and, and he's like, I miss you too. It's very sweet.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'll go with Cassian. Hey, Ritz I have three. How many do you have? Oh, you have more. I have four. All right, so this, I'll, I'll go first because I think this is um, both of our actual answers. I'm just going to speak for you. This yes. Is-
1: no, yeah. This is absolutely the right answer.
0: Yeah. I have no regrets in my life with this. His voice shook with every word that we did not have time. that I did not have time with you, Nesta. She didn't stop him as he leaned up and kissed her lightly as much as he could manage. Cassian said softly, brushing away the tear that streaked down her face. "I will find you again in the next world, the next life, and we will have that time." I promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it is it a lot. <laughs> Oh,
1: you're gonna get me crying on this podcast. Finally. Oh God. Um, I know, this one- yeah. <clears throat> okay. All right. So this is. I think this is when when Feyre and Lucian returned from the Spring Court. Yeah. And she she sees Reese again. Gently, he pulled my hands away from my face. Gently, he took my cheeks in his hands and brushed away my tears. I didn't care that we had an audience as I lifted my head and beheld the joy and concern and love shining in those remarkable eyes. Neither did Reese as he murmured, my love, and kissed me. Just mm-hmm. the, the my love.
0: Yeah. And she like collapses to the floor when she sees it. It's just like, it's a really good moment. Oh, I love it so much. And then he's like, everyone out of the house. And they yeah. all, like disappears <laughs> like can get it on. <laughs> 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 yeah. Ro- peak romance. Peak hotness for those two. It's great. Yeah. This is when they go to the court of nightmares. This is when like the plot things are, they do, I have to point out, like I start to squint at it a little bit. So they've already kind of decided that they're, I, don't, I can't tell yet if they've decided that they're going to, like, drop the whole, like, we're evil shtick that they have with everyone else. But it's like, what happens with the Court of Nightmares going forward now? Like, this, if they're dropping those masks, whatever. Anyway, they've got the mask back on when they go to the Court of Nightmares. So they go back to the Court of Nightmares. And uh, this is a nice counter to the throne scene, or I guess a follow-up to the throne scene from the second book. Recently winked as he gracefully escorted me right into that throne. The movement is easy and as smooth as a dance. The crowd murmured as I sat the black stone bitingly cold against my bare thighs. They outright gasped as Reese simply perched on the arm of the throne, smirked at me, and said to the court of nightmares bow for they had not and with me seated on that throne their faces were still a mixture of shock and disdain as they all dropped to their knees i just like love it it's like king from reese like
1: it's hot it's hot him sitting on the arm of the chair and just like the whole the whole package it's real yeah, it's real yeah, good yeah okay all right this is uh <sighs> so a continuation really of the last quote that i did um when they re- are reunited and this time they are boning so keep that in mind um His throat bobbed. I missed you every second, every breath. Not just this, he said, shifting his hips for emphasis and dragging a groan from deep in my throat, but talking to you, laughing with you. I missed having you in my bed, but I missed having you as my friend even more. And this just goes back to, I think I said in the last episode, how much I love Farah and Reese's friendship. Like, it is deeply romantic, but like such a solid foundation of friendship and mutual respect there. Like, they just genuinely enjoy each other's company as friends and i think that's that's really nice
0: i really like the moment too, then when they're at the high lords meeting and like they're talking about how tamlin's there and her like i don't think i can have sex with you like while well, we're, he- well, i know he's here and like under the roof and he's like absolutely absolutely fine like mm-hmm. totally valid um but then she's like i like but i still want you to like hold me and he was like 100 and then he does like it's just so soft like, yeah like, i really like it okay and um, this is part of Reese's last speech too. He says this to Feyre, like he starts to get really choked up when he start, like turns to if I hadn't, if I hadn't met my mate, mm-hmm. I would have waited 500 more years for you, a thousand years. And if this was all the time we were allowed to have, the wait was worth it. Yep. Anyway. Yep. Okay.
1: <laughs> no notes. <laughs> um. just, just here. Yeah. I wondered why no one had yet mentioned what now shown in Cassian's eyes as he gazed at my sister, the sorrow and the longing. Mm-hmm. I am a big sucker for pining. Uh, it is absolutely a thousand percent my shit. I love it. Just give me all that pining.
0: Yummy. Always <laughs> oh, get unhinged at the end. Sorry. <laughs>
1: Was I wrong? Was I wrong? <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, not at all. And do you have another one?
0: I don't, please, Ruji.
1: Okay. Uh Cassian's eyes did not leave Nesta's, nor did hers leave his. There was no warmth, no tenderness on either of their faces, only that raging intensity, that blend of contempt and understanding and fire. Uh and in my notes, I just have Paris Hilton voice. That's hot. <laughs> it is hot.
0: Mm. Yeah. So uh yes. This is good. There's there's good moments here, too. Oh, golly. Uh, all right. We're going to do spoiler section now. We'll, there'll be a little music cue. And then um, we're going to talk about some things that come up in the next two books. So uh, go ahead and tune out now if you need to. Otherwise, stay tuned for our spoiler thoughts. All righty. So... I mean, I think one of the biggest things I think we both have noted about spoiler things are all like the the foreshadowing for Nesta's huge powers. I mean, obviously, that's a big mm-hmm. part of this book, too. But, like, it's really interesting to go back and reread it, knowing what's coming ahead in, in Silver Flames. I like all that. Yeah.
1: Um, also, what I alluded to when we were talking earlier, Cassian being, you know, too good, too pure for this world. And Nesta just, like, really seeing, like, being really just, like, in that trend, in the trenches with him in that. Um, and then you can kind of see how later on she, in, in Silver Flames, when she says that she essentially rejected him because she thought he was too good for her. And because, he, you know, he's just a fundamentally just deep down good boy. Yeah. So you can kind of see that. I also like, like, just a little tiny nods to what's coming in Silver Flames as far as, like, the House of Wind and Nesta reading, like I think Cassie at one point says, I wouldn't have pegged you for a romance reader. Uh Reese finding uh, Nesta in the library all the time. Yeah. It's nice little, little hints.
0: Yeah. No, all that stuff is really good. Another little thing that might come up in future books, but it's like the seed is planted in Silver Flames is this is something Tamlin says during the High Lords meeting, but he's like, why would we fight Hibern only to find ourselves with the King and Queen of Prithian? She proved her ambition and you saw how he was more than happy to serve Amarantha to remain unscathed. So he's talking about recent pera. And that's something that's like kind of plotted then too in Silver Flames about potentially having a, a King of, of all of Prithian. And mm-hmm. um, maybe that's where it's going. The seeds are there earlier than we thought. Yeah. I also, in today's edition of re-saying things in this book that make me even more mad at him in a court of Silver planes for what he did i do not let you do anything you are your own person you make your own choices we do not let each other do things as if we dictate the movements of each other but i might have insisted i go with you more for my own mental well-being just to know you were safe and another
1: one I have from Reese because you're my equal," he said. As much as that means having each other's backs in public, it also means we grant each other the gift of honesty, of truth.
0: Sure, Jan. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just—it's really hard to—it's really hard to read. Um, you know, i i won't, i don't want to burn content for next week, but I did read *Court of Frost and Starlight*, uh, which, uh, even like builds on this more. It just like makes—it's it, why I don't. Part of big reason why I don't really like that book. And it's just it's frustrating to me, Breeze saying things um and then doing the opposite of them is just' is hard for me to stomach um mm-hmm. so like we'll we'll talk about that more when in that episode, uh but the last thing I think I want to talk about too is more of the ship stuff that we couldn't get into yet, so like we talked to last week with Jesse because she was here, but like how I think ultimately all of us are. Ship as with Gwen, who we meet in A Court of Silver Flames. But I think there are some things that are interesting here in this book, especially when you take in context the bonus chapter from A Court of Silver Flames. So this is something that Reese says to Lucian. They get to the townhouse and Elaine goes out into the garden and Azriel goes with her. And Lucien's like goes on alert as her mate being like, yeah. And Reese says, relax, Azriel isn't the ravishing type. But it's like, that's basically what he was going to do in that bonus chapter. And so at first it kind of made me like laugh aloud and be like, "Haha!" like Reese, like jokes on you (laughs) because look what your buddy did. However, I think that that ultimately is true. When you look at the, I've read that bonus chapter so many times. I've read a lot of theories about the bonus chapter and what it means. And like, yes, in that moment, has like very clearly is like lusting. Like he has, Sexual feelings for Elaine. But I think mm-hmm. when you stripped away a lot of that, it's ultimately like kind of feelings of loneliness. Yeah. Um, and you know, what I think is really interesting then too when looking at As and Elaine in the context of that here, like I think that in this book, As wants a connection with someone. So we already kind of like see the seeds of that because everyone's starting to pair off. But I also think he wants kind of someone to of his own to take care of, especially given that more has rejected that those attempts from him. So he really gets closer with Elaine in this book after more pulls her shit with Helian. and like mm-hmm. basically tried to take care of more. And she was like, no, I'm just going to like sleep with this other guy to mess with your head now. So he like Elaine is a receptive person for that. And Elaine wants someone who can see her for who she is. And in that book, that's, that's him. He, they, so they do have this connection. I just think they're kind of what, each other needs right now. like Elaine is so overwhelmed by like the change and yes, I don't say this necessarily is a bad thing, but Lucian doesn't know her that well. He mm-hmm. doesn't he he looks look at her as his mate and like he's interested in getting to know her more but like he has an ulterior motive in place and as doesn't. And so I, I get why she gravitates to him because he's like there's a no pressure. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, Azriel and Elaine are going to each other for similar reasons in the sense of like loneliness and also because they are willing to offer the other one kind of what, you know, like you said, Asriel wants somebody to take care of um, somebody also that's that's kind of quiet in her way like Elaine is. And the same reason that Elaine wants Azriel is that there's no pressure there, there. It's the quiet. And plus like it there's a sense of like kind of fadedness like destiny to it because of the yeah. three archeron sisters being destined for like the three batboy brothers um it it makes sense yeah but i don't think it's going to go that way
0: yeah i i don't i don't think it is either i i just really think that like again yeah he's she's there at the time to take care of them i think it's What she's still just really doing with Lucian is something that's um, indicated by this chapter where they call the healer and healers like have her mate look because the mate will be the best one to figure it out. And Lucian confirms there is a bond, but when he gets there, like Elaine freaks out and runs away. So it's like, I don't think she's ready yet. And like I said, I do think that in that bonus chapter as is being motivated by like his feelings of loneliness and like he does desire her and that's great but I think what Reese says to Lucian here Israel isn't the ravishing type like Reese calls him down in that moment for a variety of reasons and prevents him from doing something that would have long term ramifications with Lucian too and like impact the mating bond oh I think that was something we wanted to talk about too wasn't it like mating bond stuff and how like there's maybe potential there for it like not to like there's stuff there ab- about like what it takes to like break a meeting bond and like how like drive would potentially drive the person mad and like how we don't think that that's what's gonna happen with lucian and like trigger this blood feud thing um, yeah yeah so like we're already we know from this book that like there's severe ramifications for the guy and again i don't I don't mean to say like that Lucian should get to be with Elaine because of like this bond. I think it's very Mm -hmm. interesting to challenge the concept of this the mating bond and like rejecting it and what that means. And like we have examples of of mated pairs in this world, Reese's parents, for instance, who did not do well together despite that Mm -hmm. mating bond. But I think also we ha- we can't ignore the ramifications, and I think Sarah likes Lucian too much to like have him potentially go mad or be like torn apart by Asriel. Like it's mm-hmm. just what <laughs> no, and and again we love Asriel. we do. We love Lucian too. Mm-hmm. I think Sarah Sarah has given more airtime to Lucian. I think Sarah likes Lucian a, a, maybe a bit more than Az. Like we've gotten more with him. We've had more scenes with Sarah and Lucian. I think he's just a bigger Character overall so i i, I think that not again my number one thing is lucian happiness is what i want yeah i don't care and if I it's lane th- really but
1: yeah i think like you said too um like we don't think that lucian deserves Elaine lane because of this mating bond and yeah there are certainly opportunities here to explore that mating bond and and maybe push back against it a little bit but i think that an exploration of, of Lucian and and Elaine and how their feelings might genuinely develop for each other kind of in spite of the mating bond will be a really interesting story or is potentially a really interesting story. I want to read that. I want to read them falling in love despite this mating bond, like, especially on, on Elaine's part, because I think again, part of her attraction to Asriel is that he is not her, you know, quote unquote mate. He's not this destined whatever um and and it's kind of like her rebelling against that somebody telling her what she needs to do especially after the cauldron and and all of her choices were taken away that like of course she would want to like rebel against this kind of like forced choice like this forced mate. i want to see her fall in love with lucian in
0: spite of that yeah that's it i i I think that's for me the biggest like indicator of what would be interesting going for what Sarah's gonna do going forward. Cause yeah, like we said in the main part, like there's stuff to indicate both sides of it. I think there's just other reasons to explain why as and Elaine are drawn to each other. And I agree just it's gonna be a way more compelling storytelling. Like what even would an as in Elaine like falling in love story be like they're they're there, they're there like a little bit already kind of like if it's essentially like they're not there's no tension. There's no like Conflict. It's like they mm-hmm. like each other already. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I think like, it's a much more compelling story to have uh, the the Elaine and Lucian thing. Yeah. And then also, because what does that quote about? I think that was in this book, right? Where somebody, I can't remember who it was, was like, Autumn Court men are like, are, are like filled with fire and they fuck like it too.
0: Yeah. It is this book. And like, the fair thing's like, oh, like, I don't She's know. He's like, oh shit, Elaine. Yeah. But like, I'm like, get it, Elaine. Take one for a team,
1: Honest, girl. I mean, well, that and, you know, they
0: often say that, like, it's the quiet ones. Yeah. One of the things, though, I think we'd be remiss not to mention is that there are some, like, potential hints here that, like, Vasa and, like, Lucian might have a thing. Like, he's, like, very, like, awed by her, and they're kind of, mm-hmm. like, talking at that last meeting at the end. I don't know that there's a ton there. I'll have to reread those bits of silver flames with a keen eye when we go through, but like, I don't know that that's where Sarah is going with it. I think maybe she was trying to set up a little bit more like trying to bury the lead a bit. Mm -hmm. So what she's going to do with her couples, but yeah, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's a thing, but I also wouldn't be mad
1: about it because like I said, get Lucian laid 2021. Yeah. But I don't care. Again, I don't care. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also, it could also add like a nice little conflict in there too, to have him like develop feelings for somebody else while still feeling that deep mating bond and like drive toward Elaine.
0: Yeah. So I think that even just looking at the three of them together, where we think that there's enough like evidence and like compelling reasons to have it be Lucian and Elaine. But I, we talked a little bit and we'll talk a lot more, obviously when we talk about silver flames, the introduction of Gwen is um, kind of a game changer, and seems to really cement things for me about where things are going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to like, I think that book and Bart Frost and Starlight kind of cements for me too, like that we're gonna get a more story, I think, sometime sooner rather than later, which we kind of talked about in the main thing. But I guess we'll talk about more in details because I'm I don't want to a lot more anymore today. Yeah, sorry, I don't. Womp womp. Ah. Um, uh, okay, so I think that's really it for this. I'm sad uh that we're done with the main trilogy. It is a lot of fun. As I mentioned already, don't love Frost and Starlight, but I'm excited to talk yeah. about it because that those are always more interesting and you don't love it. You've never read it, right? I've never read it. Yep. Yeah. Mark wisely, I think. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, I I um there's it's a lot of interesting setup there. She does like multiple people's POVs and it's quite a departure and it very much was written as a setup for these future spin off books. Um and then um but it is start the start of my frustration more with some of these characters and we'll talk about that next week. So I'm excited yeah. to to get into that. In the meantime, Tasia, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore Reads. You can find the podcast on t- Instagram and Twitter at Act Your Age. You could also shoot us an email if you'd like at actyouragepod at gmail.com. If you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, it would be greatly appreciated by us if we get some reviews and we would love to read them here on the podcast sometime. That would be super fun. But otherwise, friends, enjoy reading it. Qu-qu- of frost and starlight i hope you uh like it maybe a little more than i do uh and i can't wait to talk about it uh next week see you guys hi, hi.